fruit with me. How many of you love grapes? I just love grapes. Really? There you go. I each service I have actually put one in my mouth and then for the next 10 minutes I'm chewing on grape skin. So I won't do that um, today. But you may not know this about me. In fact, I'm sure you don't. My wife and I own a vineyard and we have a picture of our. Well, okay, it's actually a grapevine that was (laughs) planted in our backyard by my wife. But, um, you, you know, it's it's a vine and it's in the yard. I call it vineyard. And so that's our vineyard right there. Our grapevine. And uh, I don't know a whole lot about it. My wife does, and she really enjoys it. And these, these grapes actually came from the grocery store. But we, 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 have, we have gotten a few very cute little grapes from our grapevine in the backyard. And, and the reason I'm talking about that is because we're wrapping up our series today um, in, in the book of John, we've been in a series called Portraits of Jesus, and we've looked at some of the ways that the Gospel of John has painted Jesus and who he is. John uses language that is unique to the, to the other Gospels in giving us a picture of who Jesus is. And so today we're talking about a metaphor that Jesus himself used to describe himself, and that is the vine. The vine. What does it mean for Jesus to say that he is the vine? That's what we're going to kind of look at and explore. We've got a portrait up here of a nice clump of grapes connected to a vine. Haven't you appreciated these portraits that we've been able to use each week? Incidentally, um, after Labor Day in September, the Wednesday after Labor Day, all of our Wednesday night programs kick off again, including our adult midweek service that we call The Journey. And on the 23rd of September, we are going to focus that night on our U-Count campaign. Now, if you're not familiar with U-Count, it is our effort as a church to, to respond to the horrific injustice of human trafficking, specifically in Calcutta, India. And Bonnie Northrup, Pastor Derry's wife, leads that effort for our church. She's going to be with us on that Wednesday night sharing her heart and, and what we're doing to, to uh, respond to that injustice. Part of that night, we're going to have a silent art auction. And we're going to include all of these portraits. So if you've seen one that's really caught your eye, they're all going to be included. Um, and all of the proceeds are going to go to the U-Count campaign, our effort to respond to this injustice. By the way, if you are an artist and would be willing to create a painting or a drawing or a sculpture or a photograph or something of that nature and donate it for this art auction, we have a table in the mall as well, table number three. Stop by there. They can answer questions for you. You can sign up and and commit to do that. That would be great. Open your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. And we're going to read some verses together here. Jesus is speaking this particular chapter, and this is what he says to his disciples. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. And I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, 
you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So Jesus takes this metaphor of a vine and paints this picture for us. And he doesn't leave us to wonder what the metaphor means. He comes out and tells us. He says that he, Jesus, is the vine. He says that the father is the gardener and we are the branches. And he says to us that it is God's purpose and it is to God's glory. And it's a result of our discipleship that we bear a big old clump of grapes. That we bear much fruit. Twice he uses the word much. Much fruit. That's God's purpose. It's his desire and it's the result of us following him. Now, one of the key uh, principles when it comes to interpreting scripture, the Bible, is to ask the question, what did it mean to the people who originally heard it? And if we ask that question about this passage, we will discover that it was more than just a clever illustration of vine and branches. It was that, too, and some great application, which we'll talk about. But it was it was more than that. It was profoundly more than that. Those disciples who were Jews would have immediately gone to a psalm, Psalm number 80. Psalm number 80, beginning in verse 8, look at what it says. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its boughs to the sea. It shoots as far as the river. So in that psalm, who is the vine? It's Israel. Right. You he says you brought a vine out of Egypt and drove out the nations and planted it is talking about Israel. If we had time to read Isaiah chapter five, we would discover that that Isaiah also refers to Israel in the metaphor of a vine and a vineyard, as well as other authors. And so in Jewish tradition, it was understood that the vine was a metaphor for Israel. All right. So with that backdrop, it's important for us to understand what Jesus is saying here. God had a very specific purpose for Israel. And that purpose was intended to reach the entire world. God chose Israel to be a people who would live under his loving rule, under his protection and under his care. And, and this people would be an expression of the kingdom of God in the world. God would be their king. And they would be an expression of his righteousness, an expression of his justice and his love. They would be blessed by him so that they would in turn be a blessing and a light to all of the world. But that blessing was contingent upon them walking in the ways of God. And as we read through the Old Testament, we discovered that they rejected the ways of God. In fact, they rejected God as their king. And they cried out for a, a human king. Because all the other nations had human kings. They wanted a human king. They didn't want God to be their king. And they rebelled against his, his law. They rebelled against his rule. They forsook their calling. And it resulted in hundreds and hundreds of years of oppression at the hands of different enemies. 
At the time of Jesus, the enemy happened to be the Roman Empire who was oppressing them. And it's in this context that Jesus shows up just a little bit before he would give his life to die on a cross. And he says to those disciples, I am the true vine, the true vine, something very powerful and very profound. I am the one upon whom the purposes of God rest. I am the fulfillment of Israel. And the purposes God intended for Israel to be in all of the world. I am the light of the world. I am the way, Jesus says. This was not simply an illustration of a vine and branches. It's saying something very powerful about who Jesus is and what he was here to do. And it also says something very powerful about who we are, who we are to be, and what we are called to do and to be in the world. See, we are the expression. Now, of the kingdom of God in the world, we are the expression of a people who live under his loving rule and his care and his protection, who live out his righteousness, his justice and his love and his compassion for the world, who are now blessed in order to be a blessing and a light to the world around us. That is our vocation as followers of Jesus. Now, the metaphor also gives us an idea of how that happens. If you're taking notes on your bulletin there, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the nature of our relationship with Jesus. And the first thing I'd invite you to write down is that our relationship with Jesus is a dependent one. It's dependent. Jesus makes it very clear. He says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. We are dependent. Now, that's a that's a bold and hard statement. For most of us, especially in this independent culture in which we live, we don't like to admit that we have a need. We don't like admitting that we are inadequate, much less do we like being told that we are helpless, that we can do nothing. And yet Jesus didn't say, apart from me, you won't do as well. He didn't say, apart from me, you'll only be able to do a little. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And Something in us rebels at being told what we can or can't do. I remember when I was a youth pastor years ago, we were serving in an effort in downtown kind of inner city Denver. And I had a van filled with teenagers, and the girls outnumbered the guys about two to one. So mostly it was teenage girls. And we are we had been working all day, we were driving back to a meeting point, and we're driving through an inner city neighborhood in downtown Denver, and up ahead, about six houses, I see a guy standing out in his front yard watering his lawn which is not a big deal, except for the guy was completely naked. I am as sure as I'm standing here today, completely naked, watering his front lawn. And I've got like 12 girls and four boys, about 14, 15 years old. And the first thing that popped into my head was to say, nobody look to the right. (laughs) What do you suppose they did? (laughs) Oh, uh, I told you not to look. What is it in us? Somebody says, you can't do that. I didn't even want to do that, but now that you said that, I want to do that. That's all I can think about is that. I want to do that. There's something in us that rebels at being told that we can't do something or that we have, we have need or that we're helpless. Now, I'm not talking about those stories, that, those inspiring stories that we love where 
you know, the, the high school athlete was told you'll never play basketball and now he plays in the NBA. I'm not talking about those. Those are cool stories of people who were tenacious and worked hard and did not allow others to put them into a mold and limit what they could become. But when it comes to being the expression of God's kingdom in the world, when it comes to bearing much fruit that is honoring and pleasing to God, apart from him, we can do nothing. We are helpless. Paul said it in a great way in Acts chapter 17. Here's how Paul said it. Paul said, in him, we live and move and have our being. That pretty much covers it. In him, we live and move and have our being. So we have in this series come full circle. If you remember almost two months ago, we started this series with a message called the heart of the gospel. And in that message, we talked about the fact that the essence of the gospel, the essence of the kingdom of God, the essence of of this life we've come to call Christianity is Jesus. And here we are again, full circle, saying one more time, it's all about Jesus. He's the center. He's everything. He's the vine and the life is in the vine. It's all about him and we are dependent upon his life. Our relationship is a dependent relationship. Let me say it this way. There is no area of your life or mine where we are better off being in control instead of Jesus being in control. No area. Not your finances, not your job, your career, your marriage, your kids, your family, your future, who you'll marry if you're single, any of those questions. There is absolutely no area where it makes more sense for you to call the shots instead of for Jesus to be the leader in your life. We live a life that is dependent upon him. Secondly, our relationship with Jesus is to be a submissive relationship. It's a submissive one. We're dependent and we are to be submissive. Jesus said every branch that bears fruit will be pruned so that it can bear even more fruit. Now, my wife has butterfly bushes in the backyard. I know that because I asked her, what's that? Because I know nothing about gardening, horticulture. I don't know anything about that. And some of you know a lot about it. And just so you know, I don't really want to know about it. So you don't need to send me articles or anything like that because... I don't really care. I just like to look at it great. But my wife, my wife, she loves that. She's interested in that. And I remember walking out in, in early spring and seeing these bushes. And it looked like someone had run over them with the lawnmower. I mean, they were pretty at one time. And now they're all whittled back. It looks like dead twigs sticking out of the ground. And I just asked her, what would you do to the bush? I mean, it's not like you could accidentally hit it with the lawnmower. They're in the rocks. And she said, no, 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 you got to prune these things. You have to, and I don't, I don't get it, but she pruned them all down. And now in August, they're like bigger than they've ever been before and beautiful. And they're blooming and all of that kind of stuff. And somehow, apparently, when you prune it, you enable that plant to reach its full potential. Do you see that parallel, that natural parallel to what God does in our lives as he prunes us? He enables us to reach his full, our full potential in him and, and what he deems to be our full Potential. And so we see this, we see this connection and we learn this. Here's, here's the deal with God. God loves you exactly where you are. He will accept you exactly where you are. It doesn't matter what your past. 
It doesn't matter what is going through your mind as you sit in this room today. Maybe you came here and and you're not even sure if you believe in God. Maybe you're living a life that is completely opposite of, of what you understand to be the way God invites us to live. Maybe you're here and you're angry with God. It really doesn't matter. God loves you right where you are, but he will not let you stay there. He will not let you stay where you are. He's going to work in you and he's going to work on you. To, to empower you, enable you, and grow you to be the person that he created you to be. To reach your full potential in him. And he'll do that by cutting some things away from your life and by imparting some things that need to be there in your life. He works in us and on us and through us. That, that word prune comes from the same Greek word that means clean. It's the same root word. And so our life in Jesus is is a life of continual submission to his work in our lives, to his lordship, to his leadership, to his pruning, to his cleansing of our lives. And he does that primarily through the truth of his word. That's primarily how he prunes us. His spirit through this word transforms us, cuts things away, challenges us, rearranges priorities and focus and convicts and encourages and inspires to mold us and shape us into who he wants us to be. And so this life in Jesus amounts to a life where we acknowledge that we're helpless and a life where we submit to authority. Two very popular ideas in our culture, aren't they? I mean, our our culture says never show weakness, never let anyone know. That you can't do it. Never say, I can't. And then our culture tells us, and you've got to do it your way. You do it your way. You don't, you don't do it the authority way. You do it your way. And to all of that, Jesus says, well, the kingdom works like this. You admit that you can do nothing. That you're helpless. And you come to me that way. And then you submit to my lordship, to my authority in your life. And I'll make you into the person that I created you to be in the beginning. That's the message of the kingdom. There's only one person that can be trusted with that. Fully. And that's Jesus. Because of his incredible love for us. Okay, thirdly, our relationship with Jesus is also to be an enduring one. It's dependent, it's submissive, and it's enduring. And here's what I mean by that. Notice how many times in the scriptures we we read earlier, Jesus uses the word remain. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Remain in me, and my words remain in you. Over and over and over again, Jesus speaks of our remaining, or if you have a King James Bible, it says abiding, of our abiding in Him. It's as we remain in the vine that we bear much fruit. Branches don't do fruit. Fruit is the natural result of the branch being in the vine. And as we remain in the vine, the result is that our lives bear the kind of fruit that brings glory and honor to God. So if you have a fruit problem, you have a branch problem. Because the problem is never in the vine. It's not the fruit and it's not the vine. That leaves the branch and the branch. Well, that's you and me, right? So everyone say with me, I am the problem. (laughs) Okay, you said it, not me. All right. I'm the problem. The problem with me is me. Now, here's here's what makes that so powerful. That means that fruit in my life is not contingent upon what others have done to me or said to me or injustices that I have endured. 
Not making light of any of those things. It says that fruit in my life is contingent upon one thing. And that is that I am in the vine. That I remain in Jesus. If I remain in Jesus, no matter what happens outside of me, my life will bear the fruit that honors and glorifies God. All right? It's an enduring relationship. He said if we remain in him, we bear much fruit. He also said our prayers become effective. Ask what you will, he says, and God is honored and he is glorified. Okay, now let's quickly talk about the fruit of of this relationship with Jesus. To do that, we're going to just keep reading in John chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus continues. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So much fruit and fruit that will last. Then the Father will give whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. So two aspects that we see here in this text of the fruit of of living a life that is continually dependent upon and submitted to Jesus. Number one is, is love. First aspect of that fruit that we see. In John chapter 15 is love. Now I want to make a a sweeping statement here, but I believe it's true. You cannot truly be in Jesus and not be growing in your love for him, your love for each other and your love for humanity. You cannot truly be in Jesus and not be growing in your love for God, your love for people. The, the, the greatest measure of spiritual maturity is not how much of the Bible you can quote. It's not how well you argue with people who believe differently. It's not how often you attend church. It's not any of those things that we often associate with someone who is mature, which are not necessarily bad. It's good to come and fellowship and be together. It's good to read your Bible. All those things are good. I don't know about the arguing part. But the, that's not the mark The greatest mark of spiritual maturity. The greatest mark of spiritual maturity is that we are growing in our love for God and our love for people. Because that will be the fruit of being in the vine, of being in Jesus. That love will grow. Now, our love for people is expressed primarily through our service. It's through how we serve. Because love, biblical love, always has legs. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. All right. And so the way that we express our love for people the most is by using what God has blessed us with our gifts, talents, treasure, all of those things to serve people, to serve the needs of people. The greatest expression, the primary way we express our love for God is the next thing in your outline. It's obedience. The primary way we express our love for God is not how robustly we sing the songs when we gather together for worship. Woo, am I doing that? Maybe not. It's not how loud we sing. It's how how well we obey. 
It's not the song that we sing on Sunday morning together, though that is an expression. It's how we walk and live on Monday morning. Do we walk in obedience to God? That's how we express our love for Him. All right? That doesn't mean that we sit idly by and have no part to play. We, we live out that love and we walk in obedience, but it all hinges on being in Jesus, in this ever-deepening, growing, intimate relationship with Jesus. That's how Jesus lived. Jesus was completely dependent upon the Father and fully submitted to His will. All right? So, let me land this plane this way, okay? When, when we were young, at least when I was young, and probably most of you have heard this before as well, uh, one of the phrases that we're taught as a principle is that actions have what? Consequences. Actions have consequences. Now, that was almost always in a negative context, at, at least for me when I grew up. It was negative actions have negative consequences. In other words, you know, if you say a bad word, you get soap in your mouth. If you're late for curfew, you get grounded. If you get too many speeding tickets, you lose your license, have to pay a lot for insurance, and have your mom drop you off for a date. But enough about me. <laughs> it was always... It was, incidentally, that date ended up marrying me and being my wife, so it wasn't all bad. But it doesn't always have to be in a negative context. I would suggest to you that there are serious consequences to us living in Jesus. To us living where Jesus is the center, where he is everything. A life that is dependent upon and submitted to him. Here are just a few we could spend all day talking about. Here's just a few. You will begin, when Jesus is center, you will begin to live for something greater than yourself. Something greater than what you want, or what you prefer, or what you think you deserve. Something greater than your success, your financial security, your reputation, even your rights. At the end of the day, what will matter most to you is that God was pleased with your life. Your heart will begin to be captured by a mission. And you'll begin to care about things that that you previously maybe had never even thought about. Eight, nine, ten-year-old girls on the other side of the planet who are sold into prostitution in the brothels of Calcutta, India, will all of a sudden capture your heart. They will matter to you. It might cause you to stay awake at night. It might bring tears to your eyes. It may cause some of you to move from the choice city of Fort Collins to live in Calcutta, India, so you can make a difference in the lives of people. The epidemic of AIDS in African nations will touch you deeply because you will realize those are people who are created in the image of God who Jesus gave his life for and it matters to him. And so all of a sudden it begins to matter to you wherever there is broken humanity, whether it's across the ocean or across the street right here in Fort Collins, it will matter because it matters to God. The priorities of where you invest your time and your talent and your treasure will begin to change. Your perspective and your values begin to change. And integrity becomes more important than closing the deal. And loving and serving people becomes more important than winning arguments. In a nutshell, if Jesus is the center of my life, it means that I am not the center of my life. And there are serious consequences to me not being the center of my life and my world. Because if his church makes Jesus center, our world can change. I believe that with all of my heart. If his church will make him the center, 
instead of ourselves and our agendas and our wants, our world can change. I want to pray for us this morning. If you would bow your heads with me. I want to pray for two groups of people. First, for a group that might be here today and you would say, I, I know Jesus is not the center of my life. And to be honest, I'm not sure if he ever has been. Maybe it's the first time you've come to church in a long time. Maybe you've been around church for years and you've learned the ropes. You've learned the way to act and what to say and you've done all the stuff. But when push comes to shove, you, you hold the reins, you control your life, you call the shots and you're not sure if Jesus has ever been the center, the Lord, the King in your life. But today is a moment where God's Spirit is dealing with your heart and His love and His compassion. And you would say, I want Jesus really for the first time to be center of my life. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just slip up a hand and say, include me in this prayer because that's where I'm living right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put them right back down. Thank you so much for just being honest and vulnerable. Now, the second group of people I want to pray for, those of you who you've come to that place, but for whatever reason, maybe it's been circumstances of life, maybe it's been crisis, whatever, you have taken back the reins and you have not been living your life dependent upon him or submitted to the truth of his word. You've kind of been doing your own thing. Maybe people around you know it, maybe no one knows it but you. But God has shined his light on your heart today and you realize, I need to come back to a place where Jesus is truly Lord of my life, where I am fully submitted to the truth of his word and dependent upon my relationship with him. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand and say, please include me in this prayer because that's where I'm at. Thank you. Thank you, many of you all, all over the room. Thank you. Thank you for being a place where it's okay to be honest and real about your life. Can we all just stand together? I want to pray. End our time in prayer. When, I, when I'm finished praying, we have in both auditoriums, this auditorium in the main and the south, prayer teams whose gift and calling is to take your hands and pray for you if you have a need in your life. And so when I'm finished praying, they're going to come forward. And I just invite you to let them pray for you before you go. But let's go to the Lord right now together. Father, you have seen our hands, which represent our hearts laid bare before you. Lord, each one has come to a place of being very transparent and saying, God, you know me anyway. So now I just open my heart to you. And I know that I need to make changes in my life that I'm incapable of making on my own. And so for some this morning, God, they are believing. Thank you for giving them the faith to believe that Jesus, you came as the son of God. You died on a cross in our place. You took the punishment for our sin upon yourself. You died and you rose again. And now we turn from living for ourselves, from being king of our own lives, and we surrender to you as Lord. We submit to your leadership, your lordship over us. We confess our dependence upon you. We begin a whole new journey with you as center of our lives. 
Lord, for others, they've been to that place before, but they've just taken the reins back. And today they are just, they're saying, I let go of the reins. I let it go. I, too, turn from living for myself in my way, and I surrender to you and your way. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means, I trust you, and so I'm dependent upon you. Or thank you for loving us. Thank you for receiving us. Thank you for pruning us and shaping us to be who you want us to be. May we continue to grow and bear much and lasting fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you. Thanks for letting me speak into your life. Our prayer team's available if you want prayer. Otherwise, have a wonderful rest of your day. God bless you as you go.